Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us Paul's exhortation to the Roman believers to pursue righteousness with the same zeal they used to pursue uncleanness. Pastor Murphy defined the terms found in verse 19, and today we'll compare the believers' old and new life and their progression. All right, turning your Bibles, please, to the, to the book of Romans, chapter 6. So I want you to look at Romans, chapter 6. I want to read again from verse... Um, number 16 to verse number 19 and we're going to come back to verse number 19 this morning and I'm just going to entitle this sermon this morning be like you used to be and you'll see as I go on why I say that be like you used to be and what Paul is going to say in Romans chapter 6 and verse 19 the same way you used to use all your energy and all your time and all your resources in the pursuit of iniquity and unrighteousness. Take that same zeal, that same energy, and pursue holiness and righteousness. Be who you used to be. I discovered that when people become Christians, before they're Christians, they've got so much zeal in, in doing what they're pursuing, then suddenly when they become Christians, all the energy seems to be gone. They don't seem to have any energy anymore. And Paul is going to say to these people, the same way you used to yield your members in the pursuit of iniquity and unrighteousness, now use your members in the pursuit of righteousness and holiness. Put the same passion you used to have uh, into your Christian life. Let's look at verse number 16 to verse, and to verse number 19, and we'll pick up verse 19. Know you not that whom you yield your servants yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the man of men because of the infirmity of your hearts. For as ye have yielded your members, <clears throat> servants to unrighteousness, unto iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. The second thing I want to draw your attention to is not only the definitions, but also the comparison that Paul uses in this text. Notice it's a very clear, purposeful, intentional comparison that Paul uses. Uh, look at it in verse 19. For as ye have, look the other part, even so now. You see that part? As ye have in the past, even so now. Look at verse 19, the last part of you see that. He is drawing a comparison. He said, as you used to do this, even so, now do this. He's drawing a, a comparison. And he wants the believer to understand that formerly in our 
pre-conversion days, we used to use our members, our body parts, our faculties, our abilities, our, our propensities, all, all everything we had. We, we used all of those things to the pursuit of uncleanness that would lead to iniquity under iniquity. And we know that. As a matter of fact, I will tell you this. As you get older as a Christian, you look back at the things you did in life. You say, I, I can't believe I was that stupid. Why well, couldn't see this before? What was in it for me? What did I get out of it? I'll tell you what most people get out of it. They get shame, disappointment, and heartbreak. Most of them, that's all they get out of it. So the Apostle Paul is saying now, uh, as he used to do, even so, do it now. And here's where I think Paul gives us an insight into the whole matter of Christian sanctification. Let me explain that for just a moment. The first thing I want to say that Paul teaches here is this. The members and the faculties that we had before we were Christians are the same members and faculties that we have now that we are Christians. I think that's an important point. You don't become a superman if you were not a superman before you were saved. If you had certain limitations before you're saved, you carry those into the Christian life. If you have certain abilities before you're saved, you carry those into the Christian life. Paul didn't say that you're going to get new members, new faculties. No, the natural faculty you have, you are born with those natural faculties, those natural parts. And when you get saved, now you carry that over into the Christian life. I think that's a profound truth that people need to understand. We don't need new members. We don't need new faculties to do what God wants to do. It is true that we're given new spiritual gifts. But that's not what Paul is talking about here now. He's talking about the natural members we have, the natural faculties we have. Those same faculties, those same members are the same. You had them then, you have them now. If you had a creative mind, an imaginative mind before you were saved, listen, when you got saved, that mind is just a creative, just just you have to channel it in a different direction now. If you had a musical ability before you were saved, you still got that musical ability after you got saved. Now you have to channel it in a different direction. Stop playing spools and reggae and start playing blessed Christian songs for the glory of God. See? What Christianity does, it just transforms and rechannels what we had before we were saved. And that's how we need to understand sanctification. We must use what we have and not wait for what we never had. Just use what we've had. And that's the first thing about sanctification. It's just a transforming and redirection of what we had before. It's not giving us new members. It's not giving us new faculties. That is crucial to understand. I'll explain that a little bit later, the significance of that. So the second point is, we retain the natural abilities and powers and our propensities after conversion as before conversion. And let me explain that for just a moment. Take the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned to you in this chapter. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul before he was saved, 
He was a man of vigor and zeal and passion, a man of devotion, a man of no half measures, a man that went all the way out, a man of tremendous vehemence. That's what Saul was before he was saved. When you look at Paul now, when Saul of Tarsus, that was the man. When you look at Paul of Antioch, the same man, but now he is a prophet and a teacher in the church. He had the same zeal, the same vigor, the same passion, the same. He does nothing by half measures. He's totally dedicated now as well. He didn't get anything new. When he got saved in that respect, there was his natural inclinations. And I think that is profoundly important. You know, um, I'm saying that because there are some people who think that Christians should be clones. And every Christian should be the same. They think that every Christian should think alike, should dress alike, should act alike, and respond alike. That's not so. God didn't create clones. God created individuals. God loves variety. You know, there are no two flowers that are alike. There are no two snowflakes that are alike. They all got some special design. That's the God of variety. And when he saved people, he doesn't save David Murphy and make him into somebody else he was not before. If you knew me before I was saved, and you met me, you would know that it's the same David Murphy that I knew. It's just that he's different in the sense that he's now channeling his energy in a different direction. I remember my pastor, uh, when I was a boy going to church, uh, I fell in love with scouting. And when there was scouting meetings, I didn't go to church meetings. And I remember my pastor saying to people, listen, when that guy devotes himself to something, he's not distracted. He just gives himself into it. You know what? The same thing happened when you become a believer. See, Look, if you had a person who was lazy before they were Christian, indolent, molasses running up a hill, when they become a Christian, what do you think they're going to be? Lazy, indolent, molasses running up a hill. The same person. When you get a person who is not intellectually interested in anything, didn't like education, never went to school, when you think they could become a Christian, when you think they would do? Same thing. Same thing. A person's personality is rechanneled. But those abilities you have and those inclinations, those propensities, carries over into your Christian life. When you meet a person who is zealous and energetic and a go-after, when they become a Christian, they're energetic and they go after as well. Here's my point. We try to make people who they're not. We try to do that. And we need to take from this biblical teaching what Paul is teaching here in this chapter. The same members, the same propensity you had before you were saved, you carried over into Christian life. If you were zealous before, carried over. If you loved teaching before, carried over. If you loved playing music before, carried over. If you were very imaginative and creative, carried over. 
But a person who has no creative imagination after they were saved, before they were saved, don't expect them not to have creative imagination now they're saved. We're all different. And the wonderful thing about this is this. Because God knows who we are and how we're inclined, God saves people and brings them into a ministry, into a church, to serve in that church where that help is needed. That's why when you have a talent, you have a gift, and you become a member of this church, the worst thing you could ever do is just sit down in the church and do nothing. You should now want to use your gift and your talent in the air of the ministry, to enhance the ministry. We're not clones. And anytime anybody tries to create what is called a Christian personality, we ought to be very weary of that person trying to create a, a Christian. The only people that produce, produce a, a, a personality that looks alike are the cults. You ever saw a Mormon yet? Every single Mormon you meet, he looks alike. He got a white shirt, a tie, blah, 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 and he walking the same way. If a Mormon came, he's a Mormon. If you met him 10 years, he's a Mormon. They're trying to reproduce sameness, but that's not Christianity. Christianity deals with variety. And that's why I think it's important for us to explore a passage like this. Have you ever looked at the variety of characters within the disciples of our Lord? Do you find any that seem to be the same? Look at Peter, that impulsive character. Always talking when he shouldn't talk and always acting when he should just restrain himself. He cuts off the high priest's ear out of passion. That's Peter, the impulsive person. The Lord is in danger. His answer is cut off the man's ear. Impulsive. Now, Peter was impulsive before he got saved. Peter is still impulsive after he got saved. But he has to, he has to redirect that. Let me show you that again. You remember when Paul went to, in Galatians, Paul said, you know, uh, Peter and myself, we sat down with the Gentiles and we had a feast. We, we, we enjoyed fellowship with the Gentiles. And then here comes these Judaizers from Jerusalem come down now to this place and, in Antioch. And, and guess what? What Peter does now that Peter separates himself from the Gentiles. That's the impulsive name. He doesn't even understand the ramifications of that. And Paul says he went against the gospel. And I stood up to the face of Peter and said, you're wrong. But that's the impulsive Peter acting without thinking of the repercussions. Same Peter. Same Peter. You are the same you. Think of the apostle John. What do you think of John when you think of John? I think of an affectionate man that uh, he leans on the breast of Jesus. Jesus loves him above all the because he has this affection for the master. Nathaniel. You remember what our Lord said about Nathaniel when, uh, you know, he said, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree before you even, I even met you. Nathaniel is the contemplative one. And what about Philip? Every time you meet Philip in the Bible, guess what he's doing? He's introducing somebody to the Lord. He has that evangelistic zeal. 
The point I'm making here is when you look at all the characters in the, in the, among the disciples, there are a multiplicity of characters. No, one, no two of them are alike. They're different. And God is channeling that particular nature of that person, that, those propensities, those gifts. And God is now channeling them in the right direction. That's what he does. Have you ever reviewed church history? Look at the different characters that God used. How different they were. When you think of Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do another God helping me. A man of bold, daring courage. 95 theses on the church of Whitting Board that changed the whole world. The world has never been the same since 1570. Never been the same. But it took one man to stand up against the entire religious world. Not just this church, not just Germany, the whole world. There was only one Luther. When you think of Wesley, what do you think about? John Wesley. They said that Wesley was very methodical. That's why they called it the Methodist. Very well organized. See? That was his skill. That was his ability. By the way, it was not Wesley that started the Methodist church. I hope you know that. It was Whitfield. But it is... It was John Wesley that took that and was able to organize it because he had those methodical skills. A different personality, different skill. What about Calvin? Well, Calvin is known as the scholar. Christian Institutes, the book he wrote, has changed the whole world. The scholar. But also, he's also known as very regimental. When he was in Geneva, he, he, he almost brought back Old Testament law. People had to live rigidly. By that. Different person, different personality. What about Dwight L. Moody? Dwight L. Moody is neither a scholar, neither organized. He's just a plain, ordinary preacher of the gospel. He's an evangelist. When you look at all of those personalities, the diverse personalities, it's very, very clear, very, very clear that we are not clones and God uses us. By the way, what was Moody before he was a, a, an evangelist? You know what he was? Anybody knows? He was a shoe salesman. So he used to market shoes, go to people. Hey, you like to buy this? When he got saved, he carried those same marketing skills, salesman skills in preaching the gospel. Just they were transformed and rechanneled. There's so much truth in what Paul is saying that I wish we would understand that this is what sanctification about. You know. No, there's a, a, a negative side to this as well. If you have a person who is not saved, who is completely unorganized, Totally organized. You only, by the way, you only got to look in this bedroom to know he's disorganized. If you ever get a chance to go in the bedroom, you disorganized. You know what happened? He got the pants over there, the underwear here, the shoes here, the socks here. And he got books here, books here. Everything is disorganized. When that person gets saved and he comes into the Christian life, listen, hey, what do you think is going to happen? He's just as disorganized. Doesn't change because he became a Christian. It's a bad habit that you had and you carried over. 
And it's only with great labor that you can change that and transform that. You think of a person who's irresponsible before they're Christian. How they spend monies recklessly. How they take care of things that they have recklessly. When you think they become a Christian, do you think they're going to become responsible now in spending their money and taking care of things? You're sadly mistaken. The third thing about this sanctification that we see here is that we must actively pursue righteousness and holiness with the same passion and zeal as we pursued uncleanness and iniquity. That's what Paul is teaching. As you used to, even so now, yield. Same zeal, same passion. In your old life, you sin actively by putting your members in the service of uncleanness and iniquity. Therefore, now you must also be active in using those same members in terms of your new life. By the way, why you did the things you did before you were a Christian? Could I tell you why? Here's it, very simple. You liked it. You wanted it. So therefore, you do it. The same thing should be in a Christian life. You should like what you're doing. So you want to do it, so you do it. And this is what Paul is here saying. The same active approach that we took in our unsaved days, the same active approach we should take today. Now, I said this uh, to get back to what I've been saying before. A lot of Christians are looking to find that one experience. That when they have this one experience, everything just falls into place. And... They don't have any trouble any longer with the flesh or with the sinfulness. This one, that's one experience. That's not true Christianity. There's not one experience that will solve all your problems. And that's why Paul is saying to you, what you need to do, Santa, you must be actively engaged in the pursuit of righteousness and holiness that you used to pursue uncleanness and iniquity. It's something you have to do. It's not going to be done for you. I don't know if people understand. Paul said it to me. Exercise yourself unto God. You will never become godly, Timothy, until you discipline yourself. But I know people who want some instantaneous experience where they just, bam, become holy. That's in a comic book. It requires effort on our part. To become holy. And this is what Paul is, is making here out in this particular passage. So this is the method of New Testament sanctification. Uh, I pointed out to you before that when you read chapter 6, there are three things that involve in New Testament sanctification. Number one, you must realize your position and standing in Christ. That's the first thing Paul teaches. You're buried with Christ. You're resurrected with Christ. That's your new standing. You're not the old man you used to be. That's the first thing you've got to believe this doctrine that Paul is teaching. Secondly, Paul is saying, reckon this doctrine to be true. Believe it. Have faith in it. And then act on it. There's no other mystery to the Christian life. 
There's no mystery to sanctification. There's an element of faith that must take hold of truth and then act on that truth. That is sanctification. Not some magic experience. Come down here, the let me lay my hands on you. Well, I lay my hands on you, but the same, you're the same person when you put your hands when you lay. It's just a new, it's like people, you, ever, you, have, you know what doctors do a lot of, by the way? I hope you know this. The people who imagine they're sick. Ah, oh, they imagine they're sick. Now. And then they go to the doctor. The doctor talks with them and he gives them a tablet. He said, take, take a few of these and then call me. And then they call the doctor the next and say, you know what? Man, I took those tablets and guess what? It did a wonderful thing. Then the doctor, I just gave you a placebo. All I gave you was sugar. There was nothing there, but you psychologically believe. It's called psychosomatic illness. The mind affects the body. So when the doctor tells you that these pills will help you, you believe it. And guess what? Your whole, whole system transforms. Your faith in the doctor's words is what helps you. Now, if your, word, your faith in the doctor's word helps you, why not trust God's word? Believe his word and act on his word. That is what we call biblical sanctification. So here I am. I believe now that I am buried with Christ, risen with Christ. I share in all the benefits of, of Christ's death. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I've been set free. That's what the Bible teaches. I claim that. And now what I do, I take this hand of mine that was used for evil. I don't cut it off. I dedicate it and say, Lord, these are your hands. I take these feet that took me places that if only people knew the hell hole they took me. But I take these same feet and I said, Lord, these are your feet. I take this mouth, the vulgar things that have come out of this mouth. Then you tell, Lord, this is your mouth. I take these ears, the things I've heard. It haunts me, oh God, but hear your ears. I take these eyes. Oh God, if you know what I've seen in life, but these are your eyes. This is your brain. You're in my, these are yours. Now I'm presenting these things to him. Actively presenting. Yielding. Putting them at his disposal. That is sanctification. It's not something, he, he's not going to drag these hands. I want these hands. I want these feet. This is why sometimes we need to spend time reflecting on the word and not just reading the word and not understanding what those implications are. See? I want to, in closing, I don't want to continue, but I want to talk about three simple areas uh, that I think Christians need to really act on. Number one, the use of time. Have you ever thought of the time that men and women spend in the world in the endless pursuit of pleasure after pleasure? Think about that for just a moment. I told you I was once a peeping Tom. If I show you the things I did to be peeping Tom, let me tell you what I used to do, okay? Our home was next to the beach that had a fence. And I knew at a certain time, Seven o'clock, there'd be people coming down. There were trees behind the fence. I used to plan that. I just knew it would happen. So I would wait till about six or seven o'clock. And then 
I would go by the galvanize. And the trees behind the galvanize. And if I told you the things I saw, look, I, I've, I've witnessed people already and talked to people and realized, wait a minute, that's the person I used to see. They don't even know. But you know how creative I was to do that? You know what excuses I have to get to do that? I had to be very, very clever. You know how much time I gave to that? It's like people who watch pornography. You know how many hours they devote to pornography? It's on their cell phones, on their computer. When they're at work, constant, constant. It's sucking the whole life out of them. And you know how creative they are? I want to tell you the same way you use that evil, that time, the same energy, the same time you used, the, the hours you wasted, the days you wasted, the weeks, the years you Why don't you now give that same type of time to the Lord? You know one of the greatest tragedies? Is that it's only when you people get a certain age, they have burned out their life for the devil. Burn it out completely. And then when they get it, they just blow the smoke in God's face. Take that. They have very few years. They've given 50 years of their life to sin. And then all they got is another 10 or 20 years to give to the Lord. That seems to me quite disproportionate. It seems wrong. But here's the problem. Your first 50 years of life, you've got so much time, so much energy, so much zeal. And then when you get into your 60s and 70s, you begin to slow down. Same thing with so many believers. They come in late into the kingdom. The Lord is merciful. He accepts them. But the truth is, they have very little time now to give to him. The second thing I'd like to talk about quickly is not only in terms of time, in terms of energy. What incredible, extraordinary amount of energy unbelievers have invested in their worldly pursuits. Think about that for just a moment. There's some people that go from dance to dance, cinema to cinema, one sporting event to the other. Some people give their life to partying and and just fooling around. There's some people who invest all their time in business. When you go to Barbados, you're going to uh, see a place called Julien's. I, I, I think the, Ch- the Indians brought it out right now, but Julien's. It was one of the largest um, stores in Barbados. And it, a, it started with a guy with a little suitcase. Small Barbadian guy, suitcase. He would go overseas and he'd bring back things in his suitcase and he'd sell then you can bring more. At the time, he was getting away with not paying duties, etc. So he was able to sell things cheaper than most people. And then he developed and developed and developed. Remember when I was working at Gettys Grant, we sold him a vault room door. Huge vault room door. Chubb security. And they were lifting it up with a crane. And it slipped and fell. And uh, we knew it was problematic right there. Anyhow, it gave me a chance to talk to Neville. Uh, find out. Yes, I, I, you know. And I'll never forget, he said, listen, what he said to me, I said, you've been so successful now. He said, listen, let me tell you something. When you're sleeping two and three o'clock in the morning, I am spending hours thinking how to make this business plan. All this energy. See? That's the unsaved man for you. Then, he come, then we come into the Christian, and we don't seem to have any energy for God. No energy at all for God. 
tragic, tragic, tragic. You ever saw somebody who wanted to have a university education or something like that? You see how much time and energy they devote to that? And then they become a Christian. And they have no energy at all for the things of God. And you wonder, what, how, how, how could this be? That's another area we need to look at. Not only how we spend our time, how we use our energy. And one last thing I think about is the application of our perseverance. And what I mean by that is this. Christians give up too easily. When they're in the world, boy, they, want, they pursued it and pursued it and pursued it. It didn't matter if they got this handicap and this problem and this other. They went after it because they wanted it. They're coming to the Christian life now. Guess what? Something happens here. A little thing happens and they just give up. No perseverance whatsoever. The final thing I want to mention this morning before I come to a close is not only this comparison that Paul talks about, but also the issue of progression that Paul deals with in this chapter. He talks about progression in evil and progression in righteousness. He said, when you were in your unsaved days, and you pursued moral uncleanness. It led you on to lawlessness. It led you to even more lawlessness. Paul is saying it led to degradation in your life. Decline in your life. Deterioration in your life. That's what Paul is saying. You didn't get better. Is there a better sinner here this morning? Who is a better sinner? You're a better person because you sin. I think not, sir. I think not, madam. You're a worse person. If you are a person pursuing sin, you're worse you are today than you were yesterday. And tomorrow you'll be a worse person as well. That's the negative side of it. But then Paul says, similarly, this progression in the Christian life. He said, as you yield yourself unto righteousness, living in the will of God, making God your reference point of your life. He said that leads to what? Godliness. And godliness is actually being more like God in, in terms. You remember God made us in his image? We are to reflect him. Godliness is I reflecting more of who God is with my life. See? And that only comes from a pursuit of a life of righteousness, living in the will of God according to God's word. That's how you become more holy. By the way, never reverse these two things. You never find in scripture it's right, holiness and righteousness. It's always righteousness and holiness because one flows out of the other. So there's a progress that Paul is talking about in this passage as well. In short, the apostle Paul is saying, be who you used to be. Not in terms of evil, but in terms of using your members and your faculties and your propensities and your inclinations and your talents and your abilities for the Lord and we channel them in that direction. That's what he means by being. Don't be less zealous here than you were over there. Don't spend less time here than you use over there. Don't have less perseverance here than you have over there. Carried it over. Enhance it. My point this morning is very, very basic and very simple. 
none of us in here stand still in our lives. We're either better today than we were yesterday, or we're worse today than we were yesterday. And it all has to do with the direction of our lives and the rechanneling of it. May God help us to see this truth, and may we thank God for the fact the Apostle Paul has spent some time uh, explaining this to us, that we may grasp it and understand how we go about this matter of sanctification. So quit waiting for something supernatural, mystical to happen to you that suddenly you're holy, suddenly you're righteous. It's not going to happen. It requires effort on your part and discipline on your part. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the patience of your people who have sat and listened. And we trust that it did not uh, meet ears that were resistant to the truth or ears that had free flow with no gray matter in between that allow your word to flow from one ear to the other without staying inside and creating some stir and some concern and some motivation in this respect. Lord, remind us of who we used to be what we used to do and how we used to uh, be before we were saved. Or the time we spent, the energy we used, the perseverance that we exhibited. Phenomenal, Lord. People used to think we were a wonder. Then we come into the Christian faith and suddenly things change, but not so much for the better for us. We fail to be as we used to be. And Paul is telling these believers, that ought not to be. I'm exhorting you, I'm commanding you. As you used to be, so now do these same things. Be who you used to be. Act how you used to be. Yet apart from sin and iniquity. Lord, would you help us to see how this can work out in our lives here individually? Perhaps there's someone here who has already given up, who hasn't persevered. Would you help that person uh, to understand that life has these obstacles, have these barriers. But part of moral strength is climbing these hills and overcoming these mountains. And not allowing ourselves to be handicapped by things that come our way. Help us to persevere in our calling, the things you've called us to do. And oh God, how little energy we seem to have for the ministry. But how much we have for the computer, we have for the television, we have for entertainment, we have for going places, doing things. Transform that zeal in our lives, Lord. Rechannel it in our lives. And our time, oh God, how we use our time. Help us to do a daily log to see how much time we wasted. Daily. Daily weekly, monthly the hours of wasted time we've become wasted years we've become the wasted life wake us up O oh Lord and may we reckon the time redeem the time Lord may we sanctify the time and give our time to you our energy to you our perseverance to you our abilities to you our propensity to you our gifts to you members to you are all to you on the altar bless your word bless your people use it for your purpose in Christ's name we pray amen
Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy continues our study of Romans chapter 6. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.